Hello, and welcome to another episode of Downtime at the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries, where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Zach. I'm one of the adult services librarians at the central branch of CPL, and my pronouns are he, him. And I'm Dave. I'm the coordinator of adult services at the uh, central branch, and my pronouns are he, him. So, longtime listeners of the show have heard these voices before, um, but they've come on this week to join us and talk about pets, their pets specifically, and their experience owning pets. But before we get into that, we will start off as we always do with what have you been reading? I had to go back a bit because I did want to talk about at least one pet-related book. I mean, I haven't read one recently, but last year during the um, Big Library Read event that we took part in, I did read Lost Dogs and Lonely Hearts by Lucy Dillon. She's a British author uh, who's also written a book called Dewey the Library Cat, so I may have to check that out at some point. Uh, but this particular book was about this woman, Rachel, who is a Londoner. You know, she's a sophisticated kind of person. Um, her aunt or great aunt dies and she inherits this rescue kennel and it's out in the countryside in a small village and, and she's, she's lost her job. She's broken up with her boyfriend. She decides, okay, I may as well go out to this small village and see what's going on with this kennel. And it completely changes her life. She meets um, other uh, women there who sort of help her get acclimated but also have their own little um, subplots going on. I guess you would say that this is a romance, um, and I don't read much romance. I, I'll read anything as long as it's nicely written. I don't care what genre it is. Um, and I didn't know what to expect from this book, but I was really pleasantly surprised that it really was much deeper than I was expecting from the way that it had been described online. Um, you know, there are dogs who you know, take the role of some of the characters, there's a, a nice variety of, of curmudgingly people, sweet people, um, people coming together unexpectedly. And it sort of wraps up with a nice little bow, but not in a way that I found really offensive. So um, I, I recommend that um, if you're looking for something that has to do with our topic today. And then the other thing that I read recently, um, as some listeners may know, I run one of the book groups at Central, the Hidden in the Stacks book group. And our last meeting in May, we discussed I'm Thinking of Ending Things by Ian Reed, which I understand has recently been made into a movie as well, which I haven't seen. Um, the book is about this guy, Jake, and this unnamed woman in the car with him. There's always suspicion when, you know, the, the, one of the other main characters is this unnamed person whose name is never revealed. Um, so they're, they're going on this drive to Jake's house to meet his parents. She's meeting his parents for the first time. And it's very slow-paced. You sort of learn their backstory, how they met, and the nature of their relationship. Um, but there's also this steadily building creepiness to the whole thing. And then once they get to Jake's parents' house, and then they leave Jake's parents' house after dinner, and there's a storm, and they, they go on this detour. I won't say anything else than that because it would give things away. Um, it's one of those books that, at least in the book group discussion, People either loved it or hated it. One of, one of those types of books, which always makes for interesting discussion. So I recommend it. It was interesting. Sounds creepy. Is it sort of a like an undercurrent of dread that builds up throughout the book? Is that's kind of how it feels based on your description? Like it seems like everything's fine, but little suggestions throughout. Yes, there. The the author is really good at sort of 
turning the written word on the page into that scene from that horror movie that really creeps you out without too much language to use to describe what's going on. He uses just the right amount of atmosphere and made the hair stand up on the back of my neck a couple times. Were you on the love it or hate it camp for book club? Um, I, I grew to appreciate it yeah. as I went through the novel. I can't say that I fully understand the ending, but I think the way he successfully built this atmosphere of impending dread um, was well done. Well, I did not come with a pet-themed book in <laughs> mind. Um, I'm going to suggest a its a two-part graphic novel series. Uh, the first one's called Manfred the Man. Um, and this is this take pet, takes pets, but uh, it turns it on its head because the human is the pet, and the, uh, the owner of the pet is the cat. And so it's a completely swapped where this cat, um, who has a job and an apartment, owns this uh, human named Manfred, and Manfred gets into all these um, all these little scrapes, and um, the I think the main character cat's name is Steve. I want to say uh, ends up going to a human shelter and helping out at a human shelter where there's all other humans that are trying to um, be rehabilitated and adopted. Um, so it, it gives a really funny look at like almost how weird it is that we take care of these little beings in our house. Um, that I, I think, you know, it's kind of, if you really stop and think about it, it's kind of strange maybe, um, except that I love it, you know, so it, it kind of looks at that in a really funny way. And then the other funny part is um, the humans and all the humans, instead of saying meow, they say, Hey, so you'll see little Manfred in the word bubble is, Hey, like he's standing next to his food bowl and it's just really, really cute. And, um, um, there's a second one, Manfred saves the day that involves sort of a best in show twist where there's a, a man competition and they have to take their men to the man competition and get them to do tricks. And it's, it's just so absurd, but it's full of heart. And, you know, as far as a pet, a pet thing that came to mind, that would definitely be the one. Um, and I just finished, so this is maybe a first for the podcast because I'm here talking about a book that's not a graphic novel. Um, I just finished Victories Greater Than Death by Charlie Jane Anders, which is um, her first in a three-volume um, young adult space opera series. Uh, so the premise is that this um, teenager, Tina, um, learns that she is the clone of a famous space captain. And, you know, that space captain died, but they cloned her and then put her on Earth to hide her until she became old enough to rejoin the, the Force and uh, help save the day. And it's just... Um, full of a lot of um, space fights and really fantastical, um, you know, adventure. Uh, there's a lot of lovely queer romance, which was fun to uh, read um, as Tina meets other people they brought from Earth to try and uh, help save the day. And um, it, it has a lot of hope, which was nice. Um, a very optimistic book about a group of people coming together, um, you know, like a found family that are going to find the the third way if you imagine there being like you know two opposing forces finding the third way to uh, solve a conflict which I thought was a really a really timely message for right now so I'm excited to see where this um where this series goes is the series <laughs> finished or are there books that are still it's not no yeah um, this one uh, is the first and that just came out so um, books two and three we are we have to wait for unfortunately but. <laughs> Definitely anything that Charlie Jane writes is an instant read for me. I think her writing is fantastic. Yeah, she hits that that like hope and adventure thing just right right in a sweet spot that works really well for me. Awesome. To uh, to stay on the idea of space operas with 
one of the OG space operas is I read the graphic novel or book one of the graphic novel adaptation of Dune. Um, Cause I was like, it's one of the like OG pieces of science fiction. And I felt like as a sci-fi fan that I should have, that I should read it, but I really, from what I've heard about it, it's very dense. It's very convoluted. And so I thought the graphic novel version of it would help me understand it a little better. Um, Having finished book one, I don't know if that's true. Uh, It kind of throws you in the middle of it where they just start saying words that just look like a collection of letters to me. I'm like, what is that word? Um, like from the beginning they just start saying things they're like he's the whatever whatever and I'm like cool okay um <laughs> the quizach hotarach that's the answer <laughs> yeah exactly they're like it's you and I don't even know I, if I pronounced that correctly but yeah <laughs> closer than I would have gotten but yeah so from the beginning they're all just like throwing out all these things that it seems like we're supposed to know about but it was really colorful the mm. art was really cool um, I think it kind of strode the line of that it was somewhat comic book-esque in its art style, but still without being like too sketchy. I'm interested. I have no idea when the next one is coming out. I tried to look and as far as I know, there's no release date for it. But they, the back of the book like announced its t- like title and everything. They have it planned out. So I'm interested to see where the graphic novels go because that was the other thing i was like dune is a big book and this is a small graphic novel and i know that a picture is worth a thousand words but still i doubt that they were able to pack all the stuff in that big book into this one and then you read the foreword and they're like yeah we didn't plan to do that we plan to break it into three parts so i'm excited to see more and if you enjoyed the book then uh you probably will understand more of this graphic novel. So it might be interesting for people who actually read the novel to like see it represented that way um, in graphic novel form. But yeah, I'm just like, okay, when's the next part? So I can see if things are going to start to make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I don't recommend watching the movie if you want to try to get things to make sense. Um, I remember really liking the book, but I, I think I fell asleep during the movie, half the movie there. <laughs> oh, wow. Might have just been me. See, I was going to say the reverse. I thought that that movie was so bananas and off the wall. Um, and uh, Kyle MacLachlan's first film credit. Um, I just, I, I think it, it tried really hard and it really leaned into the goofiness. Like if you want to see Sting as, you know, uh, the bad guy and... Um, I mean, I remember liking the book. I remember reading a couple of the sequels and kind of being like, this is too too much even for me. Um, but I remember at least the first book being, you know, a really fascinating world-building exercise in terms of, you know, these things. And then, yeah, I think the movie is another one of those love-it-or-hate-it things. Um, I really liked it. I thought it was just off the wall, <laughs> which was fun. Well, another motivation for me to read the graphic novel is I felt like to have mm. some type of basis for the new movie that's going to come out in the fall right. like, to at least, if I'm not going to give the actual novel a go, to at least have some type of basis before going in. Um, so, like I said, we'll see if that helped or not, because I, I don't know yeah. if the next part is going to be out before that movie comes out. I'm guessing, no. So, uh, <laughs> we were already we're already talking about movies and TV. So, um, what have you guys been watching recently? For Zach, obviously not 
the original Dune movie. (laughs) Coincidentally, though, last night was the premiere of a brand new animated series on Fox called Housebroken. And I liked it. It, It's going to need time to grow. Um, It's about a group of mostly dogs, not just dogs. There are a couple cats. There's this strange little um, pet that I don't know what it is yet. (laughs) Um, And basically... The, the main dog is named Honey, and she lives with a woman who's a therapist. So Honey is sort of described as a therapy dog in that she brings all the dogs over to her house when mom's not home. They, everyone comes in through the doggy door, and they have like a group session. And so there's the wacky dog chief that lives with her, who's just this big goof and is usually out, you know, chasing squirrels in the yard while all the other dogs are inside talking. Um, there are a couple of cats, one of whom is wisecracking and one of whom is like this femme fatale kind of kitty. Um, the little the little pet that I can't identify doesn't talk but uses uh, a cocktail umbrella um, to communicate somehow. Um, it's really kind of wacky. Lisa Kudrow plays Honey, um, and I love her. I think it has some promise. I, I did definitely chuckle a few times. And that made me think of another Lisa Kudrow show that I love that isn't on anymore um, called Web Therapy. It started as um, a web series, very short. They're usually minutes long. And then it became a Showtime series and was canceled a few years back. Um, kind of ahead of its time, Lisa Kudrow played this really self-absorbed therapist um, who decided that 50 minutes was way too long to have to sit and listen to anybody's problems. So she came up with this new method of online therapy over Skype, and she limited her sessions to three minutes and managed to make them mostly about her. Technically, they were limited to three minutes, but they usually went much longer because she was always talking about herself. And then the, the Skype screen looping away from that session, and she's in her actual office, and like her mother's there, and she gets into this little row with her mother. has a great cast, Lily Tomlin, Ellen Cumming, Rashida Jones makes some appearances, uh, Chelsea Handler's in it, Billy Crystal. Um, really sarcastic humor, which is what I like. And this woman, what's her name? Uh, Fiona, um, is just so self-absorbed. You think, how does anybody pay her um, <laughs> to help solve their problems? Just really wacky. It's a shame it's not on the air anymore. But Yeah, that does sound like a really before it's time because now, like teletherapy is is well especially this past year it became like the only way that people could seek therapy but even before that there were there were places it was becoming like a business model of offering exclusively telemedicine for therapy so yeah i wonder if it came out now if people would find it more relatable because that's how everyone is going to see yeah Yeah. so um i've got Two, um, also animation projects. I feel like this is a great year for animation, right? Because you can do that with everybody in separate places. Um, so I've got um, young kids at home. They're almost 10, 7, and 4. And um, the second season of the animated uh, Australian TV show Bluey just hit uh, um, Disney+. Plus. And um, if you haven't watched Bluey with the children in your life, I can highly suggest it. They're eight minute long episodes um, and they're just goofy, wacky fun. Um, The premise is that it's a family, again, to loop everything in, they're uh, a family of dogs, but they live in a house. So they're kind of anthropomorphic. 
Um, and there's these uh, two young kid dogs and then their parents, and they just get into these wacky games and um, they're very, very funny and um, work for adults as well as kids. So we'll watch it and we'll all just be laughing at them. Um, the one we just watched yesterday, the father dog and his brother, so their uncle, were playing squash. And the children, Bluey and Bingo, or the children, were pretending to control them like a video game. And the, um, the father kept winning because he was the older brother and it was the older sister, Bluey, who was controlling him and so the premise of you know like well big sisters always win and um the the father said big brothers always win and then watching that get um, popped when they're kind of you know talking up the younger brother and it's kind of like i don't want to play you know bingo says i don't want to play as my dad i want to play as you and i want you to win and you're going to win i'm going to play better this time and then he ends up winning a game of squash and you know i mean it's it's just really heartfelt and very absurd fun um, and a great soundtrack. Uh, the music is just very delightful. Watch it with the kids in your life because you'll have a lot of fun and they'll have a lot of fun and you'll laugh at the same things. Like, um, it's, it's not like thinking about watching like Rugrats when I was growing up, like there were jokes in there that were not for the kids. There were jokes in there that were like, this is the joke for the adult adults, but that does not happen in Bluey. Like it's the same joke and everybody can just laugh at it. I think from the parent's point of view or from the child's point of view, I think it's still funny. Um, just relating to different parts of um, the perspective, but uh, that's a lot of fun. And then a second one that just got uh, picked up by, um, I think it was the Cartoon Network, is Tuca and Birdie, which was uh, one season of Netflix um, from the mind of Lisa Hanawalt, one of my favorite animators and uh, cartoonists. I think she goes by a cartoonist. Um, and it's, again, anthropomorphic animals. Um, Tuca is a toucan and Birdie is a songbird, and they just get into... You know, absurd scrapes. This one is not for children at all. Um, it is. It is very, very grown up in terms of its its content. But again, some of the greatest animation for adults of the past couple of years for me. Um, and it was really, really, really good and explores some very serious adult issues of mental illness and relationships and trying to grow up and have a have a job, but um, in a completely off the wall way. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing another season of Two Gun Birdie because I was sad when that got dropped. You know, knew it was going to get picked up again because it's just got a winning cast: um, Tiffany Haddish and Ali Wong, and you know, just a really all-star piece of animation. Can't wait. Uh, I watched a couple episodes of the first season. We decided to not keep going with it, but <laughs> one of the things that I remember and I still think about is the episode where Ali Wong's character is talking to her boyfriend and he's like, you know, after I work a long day in the office, I love that I come home to you and like the light is on. And he's like, you know, when you're walking home and you look up into your apartment and you see that the light is on and like, you know that you're going to go into your apartment and it's going to be like light and warm. And I'm totally paraphrasing here, but it's like <clears throat> that you're like the warm glow that I could get to come home to every day. And I just thought that that was like, yeah, in this show that's like silly and absurd, that was just like such a beautiful moment um, <clears throat> that I was watching it with. I don't know how much we want to get here, but I was watching it with my boyfriend <laughs> and I like looked over at him and I'm like, you're the warm glowing light that I come home to every day. And it's wonderful. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so that really stuck with me. I thought that that was just yeah. like such a nice moment, even though it seems like Ali Wong's character is lukewarm about this guy through most of, I don't know if that changes, but from the first couple episodes, it seems like she was like 
do I want him to move in? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely develops. And I think it, it develops in an authentic way, um, which, you know, their relationship, like even though they are anthropomorphized birds and there's anthropomorphized like plant people and the, the subway is a snake, unless you catch the local, in which case it's a slug, like a literal, it's a slug slugging down the tracks. Um, so like, it's completely again, so absurd, but just like highlights how these absurdities are only absurd because they're being pointed out this way. Like things are kind of the way we live our lives are kind of weird anyways. Um, it's just heightened more than it's completely strange, which I think was fun. So I definitely say give it a chance. It's not for everybody. Uh, I think my spouse watched five minutes of it and said, no, this is not for me. You have fun. <laughs> I was like, you've got to watch this. It's so good. And she was like, no, I don't, I don't like this. <laughs> Which is fair. Everybody should like what they like. I'm glad you mentioned Tuca and Birdie, though, Dave, because it reminded me of something else that I've been watching. Um, I don't know if you've seen all the buzz about Tico and the man. Um, no. T-I-C-O is a parrot, and the man is this guy who plays usually hard rock acoustic guitar on the couch behind Tico, and Tico <laughs> goes to town vocalizing huh. along with the song and makes some of the most amazing sounds I've ever heard come out of any creature's mouth. Huh. Um, the typical kinds of things that a parrot does, like the whistle and stuff like that, and, and, and some calling out, but also operatic vocalizing like you've never heard. And I can't say that he's really singing along with the music, but it doesn't matter. He's so into it, and he's so entertaining. I know they have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page, and I don't know what else, but um, definitely worth checking out. Cool. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. Do you love reading but miss chatting with people about what you've read? Why not join our virtual book group? There are a variety of meetings happening every month, including the Graphic Novel Book Group, Cookbook Club, the Nonfiction Book Group, Hidden in the Stacks, YA for Adults, and Reading in the Hall book group. For more information and to register, visit cranstonlibrary.org slash book groups or contact the Central Library Reference Desk at central at cranstonlibrary.org. Stay safe and happy reading. online archive featuring keyword searchable local historical newspapers, including the Cranston Herald, is now available online to Cranston Public Library cardholders. The archive includes documents from 1885 to 1977. Additional newspaper archives from 1977 to 2016 are available separately from inside the library only. This archive is brought to you by Advantage Preservation and funded by the Champlin Foundation. Visit cranstonlibrary.org slash databases to find out more. So, without further ado, let's talk a little bit about pets. So, I figured we'd start out with your journey with pet owning. So, like, did you always have pets? And, and what kind of pets do you have now? I think it would be a good place yeah. to start. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling that you have a long line of pet ownership, Zach. Yeah, we've always um, had pets. I, I, um, my father loved German Shepherds, so we always had German Shepherds. When I was a kid, we always had cats. Um, 
one summer I lived with my aunt and uncle in California on their ranch. So I took care of the chickens and the ducks and the donkeys and the rabbits. And, you know, I've, I've had hamsters, gerbils. Um, I once had a pair of albino skunks. Came home from school one day and my mother had come home from the pet store with this brother and sister pair of skunks. They were, they were de-skunked. Um, and they were sort of like cream colored with the white stripe and they had pink eyes. That, that, that was the albinism in them. Um, loved them. They were so cool. We built a little hutch for them in the garage. Um, but for some reason, at some point, my mother decided we couldn't keep them anymore, even though I was taking care of them. Because I loved them. I used to take them outside on leashes and walk them. This was in, this was in middle school, I think. Wow. Uh, and it was really amusing the stares that I would get. Um, <laughs> Are those funny-looking cats? What's he doing? <laughs> These days, I have dogs. Um, right now, I have three. And I also have hermit crabs. And the reason I have hermit crabs is because my grandnephew, um, when he came into the family, he's my niece's stepson, um, he decided he wanted to have a pet at everybody's house. So, nice. Yeah, so... Um, I said, well, Aiden, you know, we have dogs, so we can't get a cat or, you know, we can't really get something furry for you to come over and, and hold because um, we don't know how the dogs will react to that. And he said, well, what about hermit crabs? My friend has hermit crabs and, and they're really cool. So I said, okay, let me, let me do some research and get back to you. Um, so I did my research and I said, okay, we can do that. And I have this 35-gallon X fish tank that I built uh, <laughs> A habitat in, or as some people call him, a crabitat. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've had a number of, of hermit crabs over the years. Um, one of which has lived the longest. Um, it's about as large as my fist. Um, wow, including, including the shell. And um, there's another one that's been emerging from the sand um, periodically. They, they don't do much. Um, they borrow a lot. They they hibernate a lot. They molt, stuff like that. I can tell when there's been activity in the crab tank when I've changed the water dish and then the next day there's there's sand in the water. So I know somebody's going in and out of the water dish. Um, sometimes I don't see them for weeks on end and then all of a sudden they'll be like, oh, hey, there's a crab. Um, so it's been entertaining and educational having them. Yeah. And so you can tell them apart because one's big, right? Yeah, but they do change their shells, so that's really the only way that I can tell them apart is by size. Um, and there used to be eight of them, and now we're down to two, maybe three. Um, really, like I said, I don't see them that often. But maybe I should put in like a, a GoPro camera in there and, and yes. uh, record their activity at night so I know what's really going on in that tank. Um, right. A hermit crab documentary. Right. Uh, but the, the dogs pay them pretty much no mind. Um, yeah, I have three dogs, and the littlest one, Cyrus, is a chihuahua mix. And sometimes when I sit on the chair that's near the tank just to watch the tank for a while, he'll come and he'll jump on my lap and fall asleep. But the dogs take up most of our time. See? So I feel like do, even doing the show for as long as I have and having people come on, I still learn new things about people that I didn't know because I had no idea that you had hermit crabs. Yeah, so our pet journey, um, I had a couple of cats growing up. Over the course of my life, have have firmly become a cat person Um my spouse had two cats when we met, and uh, one of them passed away a few years ago. Um, so we have the one, you know, very old cat. She is 17, our Lily. And then um, in about the past 
year and a half, I think it's our midlife crisis, but we've started fostering dogs. So we've been um, working with an adoption agency in Alabama and they drive the dogs up and foster them out in Rhode Island. So we have gotten a home, 14 of those dogs and, you know, usually do the a bulk of the um, house training and teaching them some basic commands before we send them off to their forever homes, which um, is a really fun part. And that's fur with F-U-R, forever home, by the way, because you have to lean into the puns at all times. It's a crabitat. It's a forever home. Um, and, and so that's been really great and great for our kids to kind of have a dog experience. I think I could see us adopting a dog. Um, maybe once we don't have human puppies, we might go for an actual puppy, I think is, is where we are. Um, but we have fostered also two cats, um, two kittens recently. And I, you know, just has reaffirmed my, I'm a cat person. Like I was like, Oh, can we go adopt these two? And uh, Ellen was like, no, no. It's like, okay, fine. Um, and now we are fostering a, um, she was a pregnant mother cat when she came to us, but she gave birth um, a couple of weeks ago. So we've got, you know, two and a, two and a few day old kittens in our house, uh, four of them that we're taking care of. They're like 350 grams a piece right now, just little, little things. And yeah, that's another one where our plan is currently to adopt two of these cats. But I keep saying, well, let's just, we might as well just keep all of them. Um, <laughs> they're so cute. So, so that's, um, probably not happening, but I'll keep trying. But um, we're working with Paws Watch, which is based in Johnston. And um, the mother cat is a feral cat from a colony in Johnston. She'll be returned and then spayed and released um, because she is a, a wild animal and, you know, she doesn't care for us. So that's totally fine. So she hisses and growls at us, which is to be expected. But we've got a, a hospital crate so we can section her off, take care of the kittens and then open it up and let her, um, you know, she's still nursing them. But um, that is a, has been a really neat experience, taking care of all these like newly born animals. Um, again, with our kids, they're just having a blast with it. And then our last thing is uh, we're keeping four chickens, um, four egg-laying chickens in our backyard over the summer. Um, it's a company called Rent the Chicken, rentthechicken.com. That's a free advertisement for them. But um, my sister-in-law wanted to, she lives about a mile and a half away from us, and she wanted to do this. But her husband said no. And so she said, well, would you be interested? Because then I could just come and see them whenever. And so we were like, yeah, okay. So we get to take care of the chickens, let them, let them out in free range. And um, I, a bird really keeps you in the moment because I think bird-brained is a, is a stereotype for a reason. Because like they're just like, I'm a bird. What's the next thing? Oh, no, there's a thing. Um, and so being out there with them is um, – I think it's really fun to just sort of try and see the world like a chicken. And then they give us food, which is great. So farm fresh eggs all summer is a delightful, delightful opportunity. So my house is currently uh, a barnyard. Um, <laughs> our kids have even set up our um, our dining room like a restaurant, and the restaurant was called The Barnyard. And then they put up a menu for what we're having for dinner, and they slap it on the wall right underneath, and they write menus and take our orders. And, yeah, I, I live in the barnyard. <laughs> I'm kind of jealous, actually. Yeah. <laughs> It is a lot of fun. Um, this is the most animals I've ever had. Um, and yeah, it is, it is enjoyable. And I think, right, the kind of the reward you get from taking care of it, you know, a being, you know, one of the kittens started purring for the first time and you're just holding this little kitten and trying to like acclimate it to humans. So it does not grow up to be a feral cat. And, you know, and you're petting it and then it just starts purring and you're just like, oh, <laughs> it's so little and it's purring. And just that kind of like, you know, 
that connection is really enjoyable. And, you know, they ask so little and, you know, I think they give back a lot. I was curious. So you said that fostering has been really great for your kids, but the, mm-hmm. when you had said that you had, and I've seen it on Twitter that you've been fostering all these animals, uh, I was like curious if it's hard for your kids to like get that you, they aren't staying forever and like to say goodbye when, when mm. you guys get them adopted. They feel a, a great like sense of duty in it, um, which is really admirable. Uh, so it's helping them grow up too, because they're kind of like, they, we've just got them bought into the idea of we're getting these you know dogs ready to be adopted by loving families. Um, and there have been some that have been easier to let go of than others, but yeah, some of the dogs, it's like, Oh, this is the kind of dog that I would want. You know, I can see why people like this <laughs> was because again, this is my first time having dogs and you know, we, we also get the opportunity uh, to keep up with them. Uh, my spouse stays in touch with all the families and we get pictures regularly of like, Oh, you know, here's, you know, there's one we call Pinochle. Here's Pinochle. Like, look at how big she's getting. Or, you know, this is, um, I think a few have kept their adoption names like Colby, just a giant um great pyrenees like huge dog he's gonna be a huge dog and he was big when he came to us but um you know just watching him grow up is really enjoyable and the kids getting a chance to kind of stay in touch um a couple we've even adopted off to friends of ours so we get to check in with them every now and again which is really fun um when we um adopted our first dog my husband and i attend just over 10 years ago sadly she's no longer with us but but she had a very very happy life with us um we were astonished to learn so much um, about the world of, of not just dogs, but so many animals that need rescuing, that need fostering, um, <clears throat> that are looking for homes. Um, um, Laika, our dog who, who passed away, um, was fostered by a woman in Texas. We've since become friends with her. Um, and I remember her telling us that uh, just in the Houston metro area alone, there are a million homeless dogs. When you think about how that scenario is repeated all over the country, especially in the South, for whatever reason, that we don't need to get into here. Um, that's why there are so many rescue organizations that partner um, between the South and the North, and they bring <clears throat> dogs up from the South because um, the, the, the homes that are available seem to be more in the North, or for whatever reason, they want to bring them up North. Um, it's just mind-boggling when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, the work that they're doing, again, uh, the agency we work with is in Alabama, and we've talked to them about that. And it's just a different dog culture in uh, in Alabama than we think of here. Like, people have dogs, and they're outside animals, and, you know, they roam where they want, and they mate with, you know, who they want. And then you have these puppies, and it's just sort of like this never-ending supply of dogs. Um, and it's not – I mean, I try not to think too hard about it from my northern perspective, but it's just different than – you know, I think we think of uh, pets and dogs up here for sure. Um, and then similarly, you know, the, there's a huge cat colony in Johnston, like right here in Rhode Island, that, you know, they they catch the um, pregnant cats when they can. They foster them out. And then, you know, after they give birth, they spay them and um, release them back to um, to their colony so that they can kind of slow down the, um, the birth of more animals. This is actually our second um, foster cat from this colony, our first one. She had a really hard time settling in our house. You know, she was just making a mess of the hospital crate. She just really seemed like she just couldn't relax. And then one day I woke up in the morning and this cat that like was in a, in a case, you know, in her crate under a sheet, like we weren't supposed to interact with her because she's a wild animal um, and a wild outdoor animal. Um, and I wake up and this cat is sitting like a foot from my face and just staring at me. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> 
you know, and we ended up having, you know, they had to trap her and, you know, we kind of like ran out of our room and they tried to brought a trap into our bedroom, which was where the crate was and tried to catch this, this poor cat. Um, her litter, unfortunately ended up being stillborn, but she adopted another cat's litter who, where the mother cat died. And so this cat that was with us is helping to like feed and raise this new litter of kittens. You know, it's just like a touching coda to that story of, you know, she was really cute, but also I was like, I'm not supposed to see you, <laughs> but it's, you know, it, it is kind of, um, it's an honor to be a part of, right? Like helping these animals find homes. And, you know, that's, that's just a real joy. And I think my, my kids get a lot out of it. I get a lot out of it. Um, and yeah, it's, sometimes we're sad and we always miss them, but knowing that we can see pictures of them and see how they're doing in their new homes is always nice. Yeah, I think yeah. that's lovely that you were able to foster that relationship with the people who have taken the animals in as pets. I know, and I was kind of surprised by this. So my uh, my boyfriend's mom had a dog that we had to rehome. It wasn't really like a family friend, but it was like a friend of a family friend that they ended up rehoming the dog to. And so, yeah, so he still, like, gets texts from them about, like, she's doing great. She loves it here. Hmm. She gets along great with our other dog. And so, like, I, I never imagined that these people would, like, continue to do that. I just thought, okay, we give these people, Sula was her name, we give these people Sula. And then, you know, you know, maybe we check in, like, a month later and be like, everything's still cool. And then, the, the, you know, they go and live their life with with her but no it seems like i don't know how recently but it seems like he like you know will periodically get updates from them that it's like you know she's still doing great she's fine yeah. she's loving it here and so like that was really lovely because uh his mom thought that she wasn't really going to get along with anyone but her so i was glad that she found a, a good family to be in yeah so uh, before we wrap up, what would you like to say to people who are considering getting a pet or maybe on the fence about whether they should add a pet to their family? The first thing I would say is adopt, don't shop if you possibly can, because um, there are so many animals in need of homes and, and not just dogs and cats. Like I mentioned, I live across the street from a nonprofit hot belly pig rescue farm called Potbelly Manor. Uh, and yes, you can you can adopt potbelly pigs. Um, of course, you have to make sure that you have a good understanding of what that means because they don't stay little for long. Um, but really, do your research. Um, try to find a local organization that maybe partners with a rescue organization in the south where there are plenty of animals available. Um, and. Make sure you stay patient with the application process because these um, people who, who place these animals in homes really are just trying to make the best possible decision for the animal and the family so that nobody has to worry about finding another home for that same animal ever again. And so it may seem like the applications are lengthy and invasive of your privacy, to a, to a small extent, but but they're really just trying to make sure that things are going to work out in the long run. Um, so so that's the advice that I would have for someone who's thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely um, echo. You know, adopt, don't shop. There's you know a lot of animals that need help and uh, finding a way to help them. And then I also like I again being a really new to having dogs in the house is um, just I think it's it's almost like a mindfulness exercise. Like 
to be aware of your dog and what they need and to kind of be able to respond to them and to be in that moment with them. Any of the times that like, you know, the dogs start to tear things up or the dogs start to, you know, have accidents all over the house. I feel like it comes down to me not really being in sync with them and seeing what their like cues were that they need to go out or, you know, what they actually needed at the time. Like it helps me stay present, um, having the animals in the house. And, you know, I find that really, really helpful. And it took a little getting used to as a not dog person, but now that I'm there, I feel like it, you know, makes perfect sense. And, and the snuggles, the snuggles are great. Just, you know, um, one of the, I think I already mentioned Colby was definitely one of my favorites. Like I had Colby on the, you know, on the ground and he was kind of on my lap and I was like, all right, I need to get up and cook. And I started to stand and Colby was a big dog, three months old, uh, great Pyrenees was just like, no, and tackled me back to the ground <laughs> and was just like, no, we need to do this right now. And so it was kind of like, okay, <laughs> I can do this right now. Um, so I think it's a really nice opportunity to, to kind of live on a different wavelength, I think almost. And if you've never had a pet before um, and are considering it, um, once you go through with it and that, that animal becomes a part of your family, that's how I look at it, you'll be amazed at the personalities that they have. Um, my husband and I have had, had five dogs over the course of the last 11 years, and each one has had a very different personality and brought a great deal of joy to our household in, in a very different way from any of the other dogs. Not that there aren't, you know, occasional mishaps and issues, but, you know, that just goes along with, with raising any creature. Right, um, right. There, there's just so much joy, um, despite the trade-off of the sadness when when loss happens. But yeah. you know, that's the deal that we make, and it's worth it for them because they deserve us and we deserve them. Wow, that was really beautiful, Zach. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm slightly passionate about this topic. Yes. No, I can tell, and it comes across. How about the personality on the hermit crabs? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I gotta tell you, they can be pretty bossy. No, just yes, they, 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 they really don't have much personality that I've noticed. That's okay too. They're just yeah. doing their yeah. hermit crab thing, right? So we wrap up the show with a segment I call the last chapter, where we discuss a library or bookish question, uh, just to chat about it for a little bit. Um, so kind of circling to our conversation, bringing it full circle to our conversation about Dune earlier, what is a book or series that you would love to see turned into a movie or a TV show and why? Cool. I'm going to go with, um, because I, I feel like this could happen if it hasn't happened already. Um, but the, the idea of epic fantasy trilogies getting made into like, you know, prestige TV, I feel like that needs to happen for the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemisin. The premise being that um, there is, I don't know that it's our Earth in the future. She doesn't really get into that. But there are these people who can um, control these seismic reactions of the Earth, uh, whether it be um, lava coming up or faults moving, things like that. And they are both, you know, needed by the society to help keep their broken earth from falling apart, but then also hated by that society because they wield so much power. And the, um, the kind of what it's, what this book is saying about, you know, race and, you know, how we treat people of different races, but in a completely different way is kind of the best of what uh, I think speculative uh, fantasy fiction can do. So that would be incredible to see that um, translated to the, to the large or small screen. Some of the stuff that happens in that is just bigger than one's imagination can 
really hold. And the only thing that I was wondering about is the first book of that, um, the fifth season, has the greatest twist of any book I've read in terms of like how it was structured and where it ended. And it was just fantastic. And that the series continues to build on that. So I'd love to see that as a TV show. I think it would be awesome. It sounds awesome. I would watch that TV show. Yeah, I would too. Um, Dave, you'll appreciate this. I think the book that I would most love to see made into a movie, and I don't think it already has been, so I hope I'm not um, missing it, but um, is Beautiful Ruins by Jess Walter. um, Because part of the plot has to do with um, classic movie making in the 1950s, 60s anyway. Um, And it goes back and forth between Italy and the U.S. and that time period and a more contemporary time period. And the relationships are um, so beautifully developed in terms of the way people just make themselves vulnerable to the feelings they have for other people for various reasons. Mm-hmm. That with the right cast, some great acting and directing, um, it could be really, I think, fun to watch. So that that's the first yeah. thing that comes to mind. Um, so my choice, I think Dave will appreciate this too, and I'll see if he agrees with me. Um, I would love to see the graphic novel series Saga made into an animated show specifically. Like, I would love to see it animated with um, with the illustrator involved in that project. Yeah. Um, I just think it would be so good um, because it, it does already feel very cinematic when you read the graphic novel. That's just like the full page spreads and just how everything plays out feels like you're already kind of watching it in motion in front of your eyes even though it's a graphic novel that I would I would love to see that made into a show but like specifically an animated show to like keep the feel of the the graphic novel I think would be so cool definitely I think it was a few years ago now where Lin-Manuel Miranda was on that you know what are the it was uh, the New York Times book review page that's like you know talking to famous people about the books that they're reading and it's like what are the books on your bedstand right now and one of them was you know he was reading saga and i was like wouldn't it be cool like that lin-manuel miranda's next broadway thing after hamilton was a broadway adaptation of saga i was just like i could see that working and that would be so cool um so i'm still holding out hope that maybe he'll do that because you know it was just kind of like that would be cool. I yeah. feel like he wouldn't make it corny. Like, whatever kind right. of thing he would grab onto to be the catch, like the whole thing of Hamilton, the catch was like a rap musical about Alexander Hamilton, right. which it sounds wild. It shouldn't work, but it yeah. did work. Yeah. It sounds wild. I feel like whatever catch he grabbed onto of like, we're going to make this blank thing, right. saga thing, I, that was very eloquent. Uh, you know, we're, <laughs> we're going to make the saga musical yeah. Um, and it's going to be this kind of thing, like inspired by this kind of music or whatever. I just feel like whatever he picked would would like work and right. be amazing. So that would be cool. I'm just putting that out into the universe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lynn Manuel, if you're listening. If you're listening. <laughs> but yeah, so thank you both for sitting down and chatting with me today. Um, And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us here at Downtime, you can do that by emailing us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. And if you're feeling generous, uh, rate and review the show. It helps people find it so that more people can listen to it. Uh, And thank you again for listening. This has been another episode of Downtime.
Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Martha Boxenbaum, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza, and our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts, connect with CPL on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime. We're a cool pot. We're a cool. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries. Now, now I have to do it all over again because that sounded like I was angry <laughs> at the intro. <laughs>